And how's everybody today? Hope you all got your naps out because don't need you to go to sleep for a while. But <coughs> I'm kidding. Take a nap if you want to. We'll just get somebody to wake you up. That's all. So, If you will, get your Bibles and turn to two different passages this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. And then the book of John, chapter 13, 31 through 38. And while you're turning, let me remind you that uh, Brother George Anderson, does he, has anybody confirmed he did come home last night? He did come home last night. I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? Okay. It, uh, in case you haven't heard, Brother George is in the hospital this past week, and he got some bad news that his cancer has returned. And they, they sent him home, but the bad part is he's going home with hospice. And I don't think I have to explain what that means, but uh, in fact, yesterday, Miss Kathy told me they'd given him at best two weeks. And so just keep him in your prayers. Now, you'll find on the table outside the doors, in between the two tables there, and two doors out there, that we've put up a sign-up sheet. There may be some need for us to help as far as just uh, being with him a little bit and assisting any way we can. If you can do that, an hour, two hours, three hours, all day long, whatever you know, whatever time you got available, one day, two days, whatever. Uh, if you would sign up just so in case we need you. Now it doesn't. They've got hospice coming in, but there may be times when they need some other help too. And so if you can do that, uh, if you would be willing to do that, uh, you'll see the sign up sheets. Now I made them on the computer this morning, and I'm not a computer maker on TV on computer, but they're like that. That's you'll see them out there. And somebody's already told me, so well, you made the slots where you signed the name so little. Well, I didn't think about that when I was doing it. So <laughs> anyway, it just. Uh, but if you can do that, it would be greatly appreciated. Don't know if we'll need to. Uh, they do have hospice, and it will be around the clock, I understand. But uh, if you can put your name on just in case that we could call, or maybe she could call somebody that maybe needs some help for that afternoon or whatever it may be. Oh, it won't be around the clock. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, really? Okay. Just company. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate that. Isn't it good to have in-house nurses? <laughs> that's, that's always a good thing to have. <laughs> anyway, keep that in your mind and your prayers. And if you can put your name down, just have them call you if they need you, whatever, just uh, please do so. And, of course, a telephone number or a way to contact you. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 through 12, and then John 13, 31 through 38. And we're going to get there. I'm not going to have you do like we normally do, stand up as we read the Scripture, because I want to move around this day. 
In our world today, one of the most pressing issues in the church, I believe, is that little word that rises its head over and over and over again. It's called commitment. Now, I know most Baptists don't like that word. It's just a dirty word sometimes. But yet, Jesus tells us all through the New Testament that he expects that he expects commitment from each and every one of us. It's not something we should take lightly. I know it means different things to people, to, to different ways. It means to trust everything that you have, everything that you are, to him. Is basically how the New Testament uses it. It really means that I give him the control of every single area of my life. We don't like to hear that sometimes. We're just sort of independent people to begin with, and we're just not sure about that. But if you read the New Testament time and time again, it speaks of that word commitment. It may not call it that in the exact terms. However, God wants me to use my time, my money, my resources, my ministry, my gifts, my talents, no matter how small they may be, He wants me to use my gifts that He has blessed me with for Him. And he does the same thing for you. You say, well, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. God's blessed you in ways that you don't even realize probably. And he wants you to use those gifts through the church for him. Down through the years, there have been different marks or symbols of, Christian, of our Christian faith. There's the sign of the fish we're all aware of. Of course, the cross is a symbol that we see a lot. There are bumper stickers, T-shirts, posters, all kinds of external symbols that we sometimes use and try to identify ourselves as God's people. There's really nothing wrong with any of those symbols. We know what they really mean, but there's, so there's nothing wrong with them to, to display them and so forth. They're, we're wearing maybe a button or a, something on your jacket or whatever it may be. is just merely an external picture. Wearing it, uh, a, a sticker or putting a sticker on your car or bumper are only superficial for the superficial eye. That we, people around us, when we're stopped at a red light, may see that. Now, I've seen songs that say, honk if you love Jesus. Every time I honk, they think I'm hollering. I don't say, do something I didn't want to do. But anyway, I just, I, I just do what they said. But it's, we have these all around us. And by the way, some, the way that some Christians drive, you'd probably be better off if you leave that sticker off your car. I mean, I'm just being serious with you for a moment. You just, I've seen some Christians, and they just, you know, they're not too nice sometimes. In John chapter 13, Jesus gives us some internal qualities, distinguishing marks, dis, uh, distinguishing marks that have a way of working themselves out in our lives and distinguish us as His people. Now, these are internal qualities that characterize us as his people who wholeheartedly are committed to him. I ask you that we wasn't going to stand for both verses, but Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, let me read you this. This is beginning with it. It may be that mean that there's a lots of professing Christians around everywhere, and but yet sometimes the ones that really are Christians never say a word about it, never speak out, never say anything, because we're afraid of being intimidated sometimes. But the first characterizing thing that I see about true followers of Christ is we are consumed with the glory of God. If the glory of God doesn't consume you, you might better check your salvation. 
I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you might better check it because the Bible says we're going to be consumed with God if He's really in control of our lives. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says this, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of His calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith and uh, work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you can't get away from what Jesus just said there. What's just, uh, what uh, Paul just said there, excuse me. It's, he says we ought to be constantly consumed with the glory of God. Notice the phrase in the, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. He's talking about us. When people see us, they ought to see a quality about us, a characteristic about us that sets us aside of other people. Number one, we must be consumed with the glory of God. Now, think about what that just said, because that's a powerful statement right there. That's why we exist as God's people, that the life of Christ would be revealed, would be glorified in us. Now, I don't know about you, but some days I'm not too glorifying to God. Some days I have a blue Monday and I'm not in the mood and I'm just, I'm just frustrated and everything's going wrong and everything happens and people come up, and, oh, isn't this a beautiful day? And I want to say, no, it's not. Just leave me alone for a while. And don't tell me you don't do the same thing sometimes. But that's our human nature. But yet our godly nature is that we glorify God every day of our lives. Then we come to John chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. Listen to what it says here. So when he had gone out, Jesus says, now, now watch this. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. What in the world did that just say? What is he talking about? Well, let me try to share with you what I believe it is. Jesus is saying, starting tomorrow, and go back and look when this verse was passed, when this verse was written, it's right before the crucifixion. You know what the crucifixion was? What Jesus' fate was the next day. And here he said these words. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Jesus is saying, starting tomorrow when I die, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. I want you to notice the three statements that we just read that speak of, God, of the Lord's glory to us. The first one, the Son of Man is now glorified. Again, this is right at the cross. This is the day, the night before, if you will. He's referring here to the cross, which will follow the next day. Now, what does that mean? That simply means that Jesus ties his glory into the cross. That on the cross, when Jesus died, he manifested or showed himself to us all the attributes of God. Now, have you ever thought about the cross being a glorification? But that's exactly what it was. Think about what happened. Not the picture itself, not of a man dying on the cross and bleeding, a uh, horrible death, 
But think about what was happening at the cross. It simply means that Jesus ties his glory into the cross, that on the cross, when Jesus died, he manifested or showed us all of the tributes of God that in his death, Jesus radiated all that God did and all that God is. Think about that a moment. Isn't that powerful? When Jesus was dying on the cross, not only was he dying for my sin, but he was dying to glorify God. Now, at the time, I'm sure these people that watched this crucifixion did not notice this, did not catch this, did not understand what was being said. But yet, God said, He is glorified in Him, Jesus. Jesus on the cross dying that horrible, pathetic way that He died. The, the way He looked, He had been beaten, He had been crowned, stuck down his, in His head, and all these horrible, bloody mess that He was. God said, He's glorifying me. Not because of what He looked like, because of what He was doing for me and you. He went to the cross and He died for me. I've said a hundred times, I'll continue to say it. Yeah, I believe with every ounce of my being, if I'd been the only person on the face of the earth that would ever come to know Jesus Christ, He'd have died the same way. He wouldn't have changed one thing because that's the only way He could have saved me. And by the way, that term saved is a, that's, you know, people say, that's a Baptist term. No, it's not. That's a Jesus term. Go look it up. <laughs> Jesus said that. And as he died on the cross for my sins and your sins, he was glorifying cross, glorifying God for what he was doing. Not the bloody mess that he was, because he looked horrible. He had been beaten. He had been hands nailed to a cross, feet nailed to a cross. That's not what we're looking at. Forget that picture for just a moment. But what he did on the cross was he died for yours and my sin. And that's the glory of it. Then we come on. You say, well, I've never really thought about that. That the cross, God was glorified, at the cross, God was glorifying himself. Remember, God's the one that put Jesus on the cross. He said, I thought the Romans did. No. If Jesus hadn't wanted to go, he could have stopped the Romans. That wasn't a problem. God said, this is what you must do for mankind, for womankind. For all of us, said, you've got to do this. You're the substitute. Keep in mind, this is God's own son that paid this price. How did God do that? How did God reveal his glory at the cross? Think about this. At the cross, God performed the greatest work that has ever been performed in the history of humankind. And that greatest work was he brought condemned sinners, you and I, where it's possible for us to get back to God. I say possible because everybody didn't accept it. And so God made an avenue. Think about it this way. If Jesus had not died on the cross, we would be hopeless. Every single one of us would be bound to hell for eternity. There's nothing we could have done about it because we couldn't pay the price. He could have sent 10,000 angels and saved Jesus. And we would have been destined to hell eternally for the rest of our lives. And that greatest work was he brought condemned sinners, you and I, back to himself so they can have a relationship with God. 
Listen, folks, that's glory. That is the essence of glory. That's a picture of what God did, the glory of God. We had no choice in it. We couldn't do a thing about it. We could not save ourselves. There is nothing that you and I could have done. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, there's nothing you can do to keep from going to hell except one little thing, except what God did for you at the cross also. That's the only thing that will change it. That is the greatest work. At the cross, Jesus took away the power of sin. That's glory. At the cross, Jesus took away the power of death itself because Jesus was raised. That's his glory. At the cross, Jesus overpowered the one who had the power of death. That is Satan. And at the cross, Jesus paid the price of God's justice by becoming that just penalty for each one of us. That's the love of God, folks. It just has blown my mind. Now, most of you all know that I wasn't raised in a Christian home and it just this has been the hardest thing for me to grasp is that why would God do that for me when he knows me better than I know myself? He knows that tomorrow I'm going to do things I shouldn't do. He knows that I'll probably lose my thought and get mad at somebody or whatever it may be. Why would he do that for me? Send his own son to replace me. And you know what the answer is? I don't have a clue. Other than he loved us that much. That's how much he loved us. At the cross, Jesus overpowered the one who had power of death. That's Satan. At the cross, Jesus paid the price of God's justice by becoming that just penalty for you and I. So at the cross, the righteousness or the justice of God was for sin was satisfied. When he died on the cross, he satisfied the price for me to go to heaven. All I had to do is accept him. The greatest work in the whole universe, there is no other act that is worthy of more praise and more glory than the act of when Jesus Christ died on that cross. Nothing compares to it. That's the turning point, the center point of humanity history. That's the day that you and I have an opportunity to live with God one of these days. That doesn't mean you'll take the chance, but you've got it. The second thing we see in this, God is glorified in Christ. Not only is the Son of Man now glorified, but God is now glorified in Christ. Christ put on display in his death all the attributes of God. Now think about that. You say, wait a minute, what was so fantastical about Jesus hanging on the cross? First of all, he stretched out his arms. He said, I love you. Every one of you. Oh, yeah, they nailed his hands to the cross, but they still stretched out his arms and said, I love you. As he was on that cross, remember what happened? The two thieves on both sides began to rail him and laugh at him and just make fun of him, all these things. And he looked down and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The people that were standing there were spitting on them. And by the way, I found out something just not too long ago. I was reading nothing. Historic, uh, uh, biblical times book and so forth, and talking about that we've got the picture wrong most times. We picture Jesus, and the thieves for that matter, up on a high cross. This book said that's not really what happened. It says most of the time the crosses were almost on the ground, about three foot at the most off the ground. 
That way when people come by, they can literally punch them, spit on them, embarrass them any way they could. And keep in mind another thing that we don't think of too often, but just for the humiliation purpose, most of the time, I'm not saying all the time, but most of the time, they were crucified naked. The embarrassment, the shame, the rebuke that people that would walk by and spit upon them, and all these things they did. And yet Jesus stayed on that cross. Not because we were such beautiful, sweet people, but because he loved us that much. Because he realized if he didn't do that, there was no hope for you and I. No matter how good a person you are, you could not go to heaven without God's love for you. Think about that a minute. Let's move on. God is glorified in Christ. Not only is the Son of Man now glorified, but God is now glorified in Christ. Christ put on display His death and all the attributes of God. Now, what are some of those attributes? The power of God. On the cross, cross Jesus defeated sin, death, the world, Satan, and everything. That's the power and that's the glory. What about the justice of God? God says the wages of sin is death. Period. And I don't have to ask you to raise your hand, but how many in here has ever committed a sin? Guess what the wage is for you? Death without Jesus. But Jesus changed that. That's God's justice. Someone had to die for sin. So when Jesus hung on the cross as a guilty substitute for me and you, God laid on him all the sin of the world on his shoulders. Think about that moment. Your sin, future, your sin, my sin, everybody's was laid upon the backs of Jesus on that cross. But it was also a demonstration of God's justice that God now had a price that could be paid. There was no way you and I could ever be good enough or be sweet enough or whatever it is. But when Jesus took our place, God said, there's the substitute. There's the Lamb of God that John talked about when he first saw him coming. He says, behold, here comes the Lamb of God. He knew exactly what was going to happen to Jesus. And as Jesus was on that cross, he became our Lamb substitute. And because of what Jesus did, we don't have to go through that. He actually put all the sin of the world of all time upon his the person of Jesus Christ. The, sin of, the penalty for sin had to be paid. God's a just God. Somebody had to pay it. Is either all of us individually or let his son pay for it all at one time. On the cross, he didn't back off of his justice for one bit. God didn't say, well, I've changed my mind, Jesus. You, come on down off the cross. So that's, that's just not right for you doing that. That's not what God said. In fact, what happened with God when Jesus was on the cross? He turned his back away from him because he couldn't look upon such a gruesome sight. A sight that he saw his own son go to the cross. Not because he wasn't perfect, but because we weren't perfect. The holiness of God. You see, at the cross, God is so holy that during these moments when Christ was bearing the guilt of our sins, during those moments when Jesus became sin for us, 
During those moments when he died in our place, God the Father turned his back on him. Why did he do that? Because he couldn't stand to look at the gruesomeness of our sin upon the back of Jesus with all that sin upon him because Jesus did it for you and I. Why Habakkuk was right when he said that God, God's is, too, is off two pure eyes to behold evil and even look upon sin. So God turned his back upon Jesus, his son. Jesus in anguish for the first time, not being perf- in perfect fellowship with God, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back upon me? You see, God hated sin so much, he could not look at his own son with sin all up on him, on his back. God hated sin that much. That's what holiness is. But also look at the faithfulness of God. God promised the world all along that he would bring them a Savior. And at the cross, he gave to us that Savior, although it cost a great, great price. Him, his only son, he went through it. The love of God. A while ago, we sang that song. That just, Robert, that just happened to be one of my favorites. In fact, you sang two of my favorites today. And I didn't tell you which songs I wanted. Well, the first one, you, well, three of them, really. Uh, I don't even know it. <laughs> What's the first song you sing? Uh, uh, no, the, maybe the second one then. What, uh, how great they are. That's it. How great. They, that's one of my fa- That's the first song I ever sang in my life at a church. In fact, pretty close to the first song I ever heard in a church. But, but it's uh, when I first got saved, not long after that, somebody asked me and Judy to sing. And I said, Judy, I don't know any songs. I mean, I don't know them. I could not have sang you, Jesus loves me if my life depended on it. And so the only thing I knew is she said, well, don't, do you know any Christian songs? I said, well, I know Elvis Presley singing, uh, what would you say? How great they are. That's the only one I've ever heard. So I stood in front of the mirror and sang that song with Elvis Presley time and time and time again. And that's my first song to ever sing at church. And it's still to this day one of my favorite songs. But yet, why do we like to sing those songs? Because they mean so much to us. It is well in my soul. Think about what that pictures. If you've never heard the story about it, I'm not going to tell it right now, but it's a beautiful story of a father that lost his three daughters in a ship crash, I guess you'd say. Lost his three beautiful daughters. And in the moment when he was going to meet his wife in England about the place where he told the captain, would you... Let me know when about the same spot where they went down. And the captain had him notified, said, we're right about there right now. And he began in his mind to write that song. And he wrote those words a little bit later, but still it was in his mind from beautiful story. A lot more to it than what I just described, but those songs mean so much to us. Amazing grace. Everybody could probably sing that by memory. What a beautiful song. I love the old hymns. I like the new stuff too. Now, don't misunderstand me. I like the new stuff, but I love those old hymns because they brought you to the place where you could see God. The love of God. 
What a beautiful song that is. God's love is seen at the cross like it's seen nowhere else. First John tells us that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So on the cross, you have God the Father glorifying the Son. You have Christ the Son glorifying the Father. Third thing we see here is God will glorify the Son in the future. When you look at chapter 13 that we just read of uh, chapter 13, verse 32, there was a lot to glorify the cross, but there's also a lot to glorify after the cross. There was the resurrection of Jesus. There was the ascension of Jesus. There was the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. And yet to come there will be the return of Jesus. Come, there will be a return of Jesus Christ in total glory one of these days. We just started the book of Revelations a few weeks ago. We're on the, well, we're starting chapter 2 tonight, so we're sort of moving real fast. I have to go slow for these people to listen good, but it's, uh, but it's, uh, we're just moving at a good pace. But tonight we start talking about the churches. And to me, that's one of the most interesting parts of the, the book. Revelation, the churches, the seven churches. And God speaks to each one of them. And he compliments them on the things they're doing right. But he also stops and says, but you need to improve on this. And I'm more than that. Anyway, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where am I going? You cannot come. So now I say to you. You see, Jesus had to leave in order to glorify further and in order to glorify someday when he comes back. Had Jesus not been glorified, it would be a disappointment for us. But now he's a glorified God, and I don't care what you believe, if you believe or if you don't believe. I believe one of these days that trumpet's going to sound and we're going to ascend to heaven to meet him in the air. He hadn't told a lie yet, and I don't think that's going to be the first one. He's coming back for us. And second thing, real quick, we love people. One of the characteristics, we love people the way that Christ loved us. Now, I'm not going to ask you, but I just want you to think about it a minute. Do you love people the way that Christ loved you? Do you really? I, I look at some of you and I don't know if I do or not. I'm kidding, but, but that's what God told us to do. We're to love people the way Christ loved us. You know what that means? Every one of us have failures. Every one of us have shortcomings. Every one of us have quick temper sometimes. or We say things we shouldn't. Even when we do those things, we're to love people anyway. That's God speaking to us. That's the life we should have. That means more than a bumper sticker on your car that says, Honk, you love Jesus. I remember a guy telling a story at a convention one time. And he was from Dallas. He just happened to be in the Dallas area. And she was over there talking. In fact, it was, um, I think, Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Pride Chicken. Isn't that the one that had the Mount Pleasant area over there that has the chicken, you know, chicken producing places? His son one day was a, it's a, it's a Christian speaker. And he was at this convention. He was telling a story about he got up to head to Dallas, said he had to run to Dallas real quick, and said uh, his car wouldn't start. So he went and borrowed his wife's keys and drove her car. She had one of those bumper stickers, if you love Jesus, honk. And so he got down in Dallas, and, of course, to get in Dallas, you're going to have roadblocks or traffic jams. He was sitting there, and he said his lady behind him, beep, beep, 
He said, lady, what do you expect me to do? I can't move. He said a little bit longer, and she, beep, beep. What do you expect me to do, lady? Did it the third time. Finally, he jumped out and said, how can I move over in a traffic sign and a traffic jam? He said, I just doing what your bumper sticker said. Said he climbed back in the car, and he felt like such an idiot, <laughs> like so many of us have before. But that's sometimes we wear those outside stickers to, I'm a Christian, but then we don't act Christian when we have the opportunity. Jesus says we're to love people the way that he loved us. There's a new commandment in John 13, 34, and 35. As the new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say put a bumper sticker on your car, did he? He didn't say wear a cross around your neck. He says the way you can show the love of God is to show the love of God. And I know some of us aren't real good at doing that, and I'm pointing three fingers when I look at you, at myself. Because sometimes I'm in a hurry, and I may not do the thing I should do. But that's the way we can tell a real Christian. Now, here's a question. Do I have the capacity to love some people? I want to let you on a little secret. I'm sure you all don't know this. But did you realize that everybody in the Baptist church is not always easy to get along with? Did you all know that? I mean, just seriously? I mean, when I joined the Baptist church, I thought, oh, man, this is just nothing but love and fellowship and fun and eating meetings. But some people can be quite rude sometimes, even to the preacher. That's, in this case, that's right. But that's, so yeah. But we can be sometimes not very Christian, even inside the church. Listen to those words again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But this is all, this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's John 13, 34 and 35. Then in Romans 13, 8, Jesus says, oh, uh, Paul says, Oh, no one anything except the love for one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. We could go on. We don't have time this morning. How do we make a visible, make visible the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here? Well, let's get practical. I think it begins with some of us saying, I'm sorry. Two of the hardest words in the English language to say. But sometimes we say things about somebody or to somebody or against somebody, whatever it may be, and it hurts them. But yet we never go back and say, I'm sorry. And oh, how we need sorry in our language. The second thing we could do is simply say, I forgive you. Maybe you're the one that was offended. Maybe you just need to show somebody and say, hey, I forgive you. It's all forgiven. Let's go on. We have that forgiving spirit. But understand, you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. I don't know what you've been through. But at the same time, you don't know what I've been through. We all have hurts in our lives. We need to be careful how we talk to each other and how we reach out to them. How can we really love like this? There's only one way. 
and it's by being humble. Humble pie is not always easy to eat, but it's the best thing you can give yourself sometimes. Proud people don't love. We've got to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I've messed up. I want you to forgive me first, and then I'll forgive that other person. And lastly, real quickly, we make loyalty to God our most prized objective. Are you loyal to God, not just on Sundays, on Sunday nights, on Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, all through the week? Are you loyal to God, not to me, not to a Sunday school teacher? Are you loyal to God? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Listen to this text. Here's the context. John 13, 36 through, 88, uh, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Obviously, you know where that is, right before the cross, right at the cross, almost moments. What did Peter do within the next few hours? Three times he denied even knowing who Jesus was. In fact, he even went as far as cursed him. I don't know who that man is. Don't call me one of his followers. And I can just see that old big red rooster sitting on the fence. As soon as those words came out of old Peter's mouth, that old rooster started crowing. And I believe that uh, that Peter looked into that scene that was going on inside that room. And I think that Jesus may have looked back at him eye to eye. Because the Bible says he looked at him. And it doesn't mean just glance and look. It means he looked into his eyes. I think old Peter realized, man, I blew it. I blew it bad. And it changed Peter's life, folks. You see, when you see Jesus for a reality, it's going to change your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Let me show you four things that caused Peter to fail real quick. Number one, he boasted too much. He was telling everybody that, I don't know this man. I wouldn't have anything to do with him. Number two, he prayed too little. Remember in the garden before Jesus' death, Peter wanted to pray, but instead he slept. He was tired. He went went to sleep. Number three, he acted too quickly. Remember when the soldiers came to arrest Peter? He pulled out his sword. Thank goodness he wasn't a very good swordsman because he cut off the guy's ear. He was trying for his head. Jesus put it back on, fixed it all up. Everything's fine. But Peter was acted too quickly. But last, and I think more importantly, Peter followed too far away. He watched him at a distance. And there's a lot of Christian people today that are way back from where Jesus is. If you want to get on the front lines, you're going to get burned sometimes. But that's exactly where Jesus wants us. Every one of us can do the same thing here today. We can start living wholehearted, committed life to Christ. But really the choice is simply up to us if we're willing to do it. Let's stand this morning. I know we're short on time this morning, but let's just sing a verse and move along.